0: Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein.
1: This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Quest. Fred Armisen.
0: Fritz Paul.
1: Javier Munoz. Seth Mike? Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're
2: Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. As a music fan of a certain age, I can be a bit partial to the 1990s and to that era's emo rock in particular. So this week's pairing speaks to me. It's Jim Adkins of Jimmy Eat World and Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional. Jimmy Eat World started life in 1993 in Arizona, pretty much straight out of high school. Before they knew it hit them, they had a major label deal with Capital and a hearty underground following for their catchy, raw songs. A roller coaster of a career eventually led to a massive radio hit in 2001, The Middle. You know it, believe me. Launched them to new heights but didn't really change the band's fundamentals. They've continued making excellent records since up to and including 2019's Surviving. One of that album's best songs is the focus of part of today's podcast too. Check out a little bit of 555. I keep my focus
1: on the simple things. Trying to find some peace along the way. Wish I knew how long I'm supposed
0: to wait. Holdin on, but just barely Dashboard Confessional, which is the product of singer-songwriter Chris Caraba, started life a little later in the 90s, but also with a bang. His hard-on-sleeve lyrics almost immediately inspired sold-out shows and tear-stained sing-alongs. In other words, the emo tag actually makes some sense for once. The pandemic cut short Carraba's touring look back at 20 years of Dashboard Confessional, but it allowed him to finish a brand-new album called All the Truth That I Can Tell. Check out a little bit of that album's Burning Heart.
2: Look, maybe I'll start. I mean, you can if you want to, but if you want, I can start because I've been thinking over every single thing I might have ever said and done. And there are just so many things I wish I hadn't said and done. and I feel heavy.
0: Now, Caraba and Atkins aren't just here because they're pals and they come from similar backgrounds. They're also bringing their bands together for the next month or so on a co-headlining tour dubbed Surviving the Truth. They'll play together through March, and then both bands will be part of the When We Were Young Festival in Las Vegas in October. All the dates can be found on either band's website, naturally. Atkins and Caraba chat a lot about songwriting here, specifically about techniques for letting a song find itself. They also ponder whether it's better to have a big radio hit, like Jimmy World did, or to be associated with a huge Spider-Man movie, as Dashboard Confessional was. And both seem delighted, even after all this time, to be able to make music their living. Enjoy. We, like every other human
2: being in the world, we just text. Who talks? I've been trying to talk more. Not with me, Jim. I'm only getting texts from you. Why is it? What, who are you trying to talk more to? If it's not me, I'd love to know. Well,
1: I'm kind of working my way up to talking to you more. <laughs> Wait. Is this baby steps? You know, <laughs> like, you know, trying to call like my kids more instead of texting. It is tough, though. I mean, sometimes you just don't want the pressure of having to follow up with. Okay, that that was what I wanted to know. Uh, everything else going okay? You know, like. Yeah. There is value in making that effort, though.
2: Yeah, I'm a believer in it, but I have noticed that. Uh, that I have succumbed possibly post COVID like everybody else I've kind of come into the deeper place of like that new thing where like somebody calls without texting first and it's a heart attack.
1: That's kind of the let's talk on the phone etiquette. Hey bro, you got a minute Yeah. or let's chat because sometimes you don't as things get busier for us, you know, like we're approaching a weird phase right now where I think it's like more of a familiar crazy. Like it's, it's just cra- like, I try to explain what I do. To like people who, who aren't in the music world and it's, it's really difficult to explain like how insane and up in the air and uh, wild it can be sometimes at, in normal times. And it's starting to approach that again and kind of getting my sea legs back.
2: For me, it's going to require a few more pulls to start the engine, I think. Because I didn't tour last year. I did four shows. I know you were successful in touring in the COVID era now. I'm successful in doing four shows. It's quite different but um i've got these two to warm up with and then then I, and then we all meet up and by the way there's some cool like weird places like that are out of step from the normal weirdness that we usually are in like the schedule's weird for us like the uh fits and starts nature of what we do is is just out of the ordinary for most people you know to be working at like 100 miles an hour for 3 months and then totally off from the road for two months or something like that is, is weird for most people, but within the framework of the go, go, go time, we have like some stops like the caverns, right? That uh, yeah. like I've never, I've never been. My family went one day, uh, cause it's not too far from where I live and they're like jazzed. Everybody where I live is super jazzed by that show. What are some of the weirder places that we've played together? Like Red Rocks counts as a weirder place. It's just out of the club world and out of the regular amphitheater world, you know, the gorge.
1: Yeah, the Gorge is one of them. There's like a shed in upstate New York that's really, it's like all like natural wood kind of yes. everywhere. And it's really like as much of a cool vibe as a shed can have, it's got.
2: Yeah, uh, the Greek theater, sort of like that. But on this mm-hmm. one, we're doing more tried and true like club and theater places. And uh, I'm glad there's little spots along the way that are, are the ordinary. By the way, you know, like you were talking about how we uh, have to explain ourselves sort of. Our job description, like my, my, narr- my like little paragraph narrative that I can throw out there is like pretty well honed to explain to people that aren't in the know what it's like, you know, but it is part of the reason I moved to the Nashville area was, was that I found it attractive that everybody just gets it, whether they're in that field or not. That's so kind of ever present here that everybody sort of understands like it's a legitimate job and it maybe in some ways is harder and in some ways is not harder than a real job.
1: Yeah. Like, if you ever try to get a loan for something, you're not sitting there trying to trying to come up and explain how your money happens. Do you go back in your force sometimes between like, yeah, this is what I do. And then like, oh my God, I'm totally getting away with this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid, like, oh, this is going to leave any time.
2: Aren't you amazed that that has never s- all the way set in? Like that security no. of like, yeah, we're established. I would imagine people look at us, look at Jimmy World or Dashboard and go, oh yeah, they're like, that's totally the viable thing that they've done their whole lives and will do their whole lives. There's no question about it, right? And I'm always like, how are we getting away with this?
1: No, no. Every single time you get a chance to do it, it's, it's you're getting away with it. It's not like, we've just been fortunate enough that we've been able to get away with it for so long that it looks like a career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but and hopefully we continue to get to do it, but still it's, it's, it's like in the back of my head. This is not, I haven't, I still got to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up.
2: <laughs> well, you also have the benefit of uh, having a big hit at radio. That's like a, you know, become a uh, mainstay at radio, which most of the rest of us in our scene didn't really get. I didn't get that. I didn't cross that line. Yeah, I was,
1: I was never, I was never in a Spider-Man video though. So like, this is true. No, no.
2: I have moved the cultural needle in different ways. And you have moved different the, the cultural needle in different ways as well as radio. There's that thing that, I wonder to myself, like if I had that, would I feel? Would I feel like more certitude that this will last? So, no. so I'm sort of surprised to hear you have the same, same. Like I could call into any radio station in the world and say, "Can you play the middle?" and they'd say, "Here it is. It's right here, queued up already." And uh, and uh, so to hear you still have that level of uh, wonder, like, are we? Do we get to keep doing this? It sort of makes me understand. Okay, okay. That I guess that maybe never goes away until you're like the Foo Fighters or something.
1: Y- yeah. I mean, maybe. I bet Dave Grohl has moments where he's like, "This could all go away." Yeah, um, that Dave Grohl. I think he's going to be somebody. Yeah, he's got. He's really he's going somewhere. It is a huge part to think about why we've been able to make music our lives is because you sort of you treat it that way. You got to make sure everything that you're doing is your best and throw away the expectations of anybody else really caring. You know, like just kind of go for it. Like this is what I think is cool. I'm going for it. And yeah. if it all goes away, whatever, I did this. this. I at least did this. You know, if you approach everything you're doing with that mindset, people will pick up on that. You'll, you'll create something
2: authentic, hopefully. Right. There's an inherent truth or honesty that you're imbuing in the song. I, at least you know it. They can't take that away, right? So, like, it may maybe this one won't connect with everybody, but it's got all the goods. I'm I'm hoping to bring in it, and that's when I feel like it's a success. I long ago stopped wondering how people will react to I Although, like, when you and I are like collaborating on stuff, I'm like I get hesitant to send stuff because it's like, oh well, I like you're acutely aware, like, oh somebody else has to like this. It's not just whether I like it and and have all those pieces of the puzzle, and, and then it's like now and I'm sharing it with the audience. That's, that's not a difficult thing for me to do. But when it's so, you or another friend that I'm like working on something with, that's when I'm like, oh, I still, I actually, it's a huge speed bump for me. Like I, it's a, it's in the, it's in the way that worry at the end of the process before I send it right. your way, I would send it your way.
1: See, I don't really view collaboration the same way. Like when someone sends something to me, I'm just listening for what I would do next. Or do I hear something that makes me want to take another step? It's not if I like this or not. Or like, wow, this is a really great fleshed out idea, Chris sent. It's, it's more of like, it could be anything.
2: Right. But that's the other side of the equation. So if you're to send me something, that's the way I'm listening to. But just to get myself to send it to you or somebody else, it's, my, it's me being in my way, not an actual way you might react or not. It's did I measure up to something that's out of my normal um, bullshit meter, I guess.
1: You'd think that with like, you know, musician people having that kind of um, deeper collaboration, communication with each other would get it. Like, sometimes you do gotta check yourself though, because like, there's there's not everyone gets it. Like, no, this is a demo. Or no, this is a scratch idea. Like, yeah. what's that? What The other person hearing that might not realize what it means. Like, I could send, you know, uh, 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 uh voice memo to you. And you'd be like, okay, I, I know what he's doing. Like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing what kind of beat this might be. Um, yeah, I guess that's sort of a weak melody, but I could change it to this. Like, you're listening for the next step. You're listening for possibilities. But, like, if I sent that to, like, um, an A&R guy,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: they're going to be like, what?
2: what? Uh, How quick can we drop this guy? He doesn't know what they're doing. You've
1: lost your mind. we got to talk to business affairs about this guy, get him out of here. <laughs> but, you know, like, so, like like there's some people like that get the the L2 slammed on the master bus for anything I send them. And then there's other people I can send this like a crappy voice memo to.
2: You know, I am much, much like I can see in your background, you know, like just over the, the side of me here, I've got a, you know, this, you've been here, but I've got, a, you know, a studio, it's in working fashion. I can punch them up into any kind of serviceable state. But I've, I really have, relied on voice memos more than anything in the last few years where it's just like, okay, okay. I found this weird thing where like, I realized I can produce up a decent idea to be a, a pretty good idea, but it's really hard for me to delineate if I can then get it to an excellent place. Whereas like a, a voice memo, it can't fool me if it's really good or something special. It like sends me racing into the other room.
1: Yeah. If something in an undeveloped state is, you, you want to go back to, then you're on to something.
2: So do you do it on the road as in the same way that you do it at home? If you do it at all, do you do the, the writing and demoing in the same way out there?
1: Not at all. What's different? Like I'm very, I'm very used to my, my toys.
2: Yeah. They become like just extensions of your writing
1: uh, palette, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like picking up a guitar is like, well, you know, you might be able to come up with something if you don't have a guitar, but it's not your guitar.
2: Does that mean
1: you feel stifled when
2: you write? Does that leave you to feel no, a little bit stifled I, no. on the road, or just another way in? That's
1: that's more of like idea gathering. Like I'll, I'll I'll produce a lot of voice memos, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But to flesh something out to the state where I would call it a song is has
2: never happened. I don't think I've ever successfully written a song on the road. I've finished a couple of songs on the road, but I've I'm almost always home when I or in one place, not traveling.
1: I started writing five 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 from our surviving record when we were on tour with Frank Turner in the UK. And, um, you know, we were, I was walking around in, in Bournemouth, I think it was like snowing. And uh, like the, the majority of that song just kind of arrived in my head, like starting with like the, not, not lyrics yet, but like the beat of it and like what I wanted instrumentation to be like. So I got back to my hotel room and like my computer is now, my OS is now more updated than, than my version of Pro Tools I have. <laughs> So, like, how do I make, what? what is this garage band? How does this work? Like, trying to get some kind of scrap thing, like drag and drop drums into garage band, fighting with that. So I basically just did the, um, the voice memo and kind of, like, remembered what I wanted to do. And then when I got back home here, then I started really fleshing it out. I should just invest in, like, something I can actually work on.
2: Traveling, I think you might be far enough on, along in your career where you could uh, justify it, Jim. You
1: can justify <laughs> it's like, well, it's kind of a lot of money, but I, this is sort of what I do every day. Like,
2: eh. yeah, it is your profession.
1: I used to tell myself that about buying guitars. Like, this thing is a thousand dollars. Yeah, but I'll play it every single day.
2: I have this feeling like the guitar sort of comes pre-packaged with some songs in it that are there for you to discover. And that's how I justify buying a new guitar. Well, I'm definitely, definitely going to find all the songs in that guitar. You know, if I don't get that one, I'll never find those songs. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the you were in the UK with Frank. Because uh, and I wonder if it's like had anything to do with the foreignness of it, even though we're over there often. But it just has a different feel. Like you're just, you feel slightly not yourself there. And maybe you're in a more contemplative place. At least I can speak. For myself on that one, which is the, well, you know, I, happened, I mentioned that I also like could only think of one hand, one song uh, off the top of my head where I successfully wrote it, uh, finished writing it anyway on the road. And it was also in the UK. I found the second half of a song that was, uh, it's actually called Burning Heart. It's probably like the most verbose song I've ever written. And I have some verbo- verbose songs. When I started the song and the second half was written in, an, in another single sitting as the first half was. And I actually played it that night with like 400 pieces of paper spread out in front of me on the stage. Just like a flat, like sticking your flag in the ground, you know, like, I guess I, I'm going to have to make this a song, a song that I, you know, stand behind because I'm, I'm,
1: was that something you kind of said to yourself in order to finish the thing? It's like, I'm going to play this tonight. So I got to get it right. Yeah,
2: I probably did. I got to finish this thing. Cause I, God damn it. I'm going to play it tonight. You know, like, it's like, did you, did you grow up skateboarding, Jim? Yeah. I remember that crazy dedication to being there for six hours or something like that, doing the same trick over and over and over again. And, um, and then your willingness to try, like once you land it, the willingness to try it, then down a set of stairs, like an idiot, you know? Like I haven't mastered this yet, but I'm definitely gonna go to the five, three, I won't go to the five stair, but I'll go to the three stair and try this, whatever it is. And hard flip, I always say hard flip because it's like the hardest trick that I can't do. I've landed it like four in my whole life. I can never seem to get my, my body to do a hard flip correctly. But anyway, so, but that's why I always make it my example. I'm sort of manifesting it. One day I will actually land a hard flip consistently. Anyway, it's the power of committing your whole self to it. And like, there's no turning back. So maybe I think I I have that same mentality or had that same mentality with this song.
1: Forcing is sometimes just the thing you need, you know? Like, um, I have a bunch of, I have such a crazy stack of like music ideas happening right now. And for, I mean, honestly, like 555 was the last song I wrote. And that was February best, of 2000, yeah. 2019, you
2: know? Yeah, that's not shocking to me. I wonder if somebody listening to this will say, wow, it's such a long time. But I under, to me, it's like, that's a long time, but that's how it goes to me. It's like you get like a hundred songs and then you get time to build up life experience to write the next hundred songs.
1: I have probably like about a about hundred songs that, are, that could be done you know, it's like, that, that's, that's sort of the thing. It's like, so how's a record coming? Or, so are you writing? You know, like, the people ask you that. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I could have 10 songs done this week. I could have one song next year. I don't know. Like, yeah. there's material on deck. And whether or not you find the thing that cracks the code that shows you what the rest of the song is supposed to do... That could happen quickly. It could happen slowly. It could not happen at all. It could happen
2: 15 years later. Wow! Well, I have an incredible measure of relief knowing that you feel that way because that's how I feel too. You and I don't sit around talking about this very much or if ever, if ever, but like I certainly know I have to turn to my team, my management, that record label and have that conversation, well, you know, and try to explain like, I'm not living in a place of doubt or worry, but no, I don't have anything. Yeah. But I will, but I don't know when. Maybe, maybe it'll be years. Yeah.
1: Sometimes if you give yourself a hard deadline or you say like, this is gonna happen. And that sort of forces you to get out of your own way a little bit and and check your expectations for it. Like the thing that kind of cracked the code for me was like, "You, I'm gonna write scratch lyrics. You know, like I had this phrasing and melody idea in my head, the thing, but like, I don't have any lyrics for it yet. Well, I gotta show people this so we can decide what, we place effort into, and you can't really do that without vocals on it, at least in my band. So it's like, instead of sending people like just a scat melody, an lyrical scat melody, I'm gonna write scratch lyrics. I don't care if it makes sense or if it's great or if it sucks or if I'm rhyming fire with desire every, every stanza, like fine. I'm just gonna put actual lyrics to this so they can hear phrasing and melody in a way that's not like blah, 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 blah.
2: I end up writing like a lot of keeper stuff out of that. Oh, so what do you think that is? Like, just the, well, you said like forcing it. Do you think there's also like the freedom to find that, like, oh, actually, when I'm mess, when I'm, when I think it's throwaway, I'm actually, actually pretty good at this craft. It just comes out a little bit more fully formed. When you're just flowing, when you're just
1: going and you're not trying to control anything that hardcore, you're just going with it. Like, you hear the next thing that happens, and before you know it, you've picked up a guitar and turned you know, pedals to the place that you think you can find that and it works and you're stoked and you keep going on because you hear the next thing and hear the next thing and hear the next thing, you know, there's a moment where you start really liking it and you sort of become self aware that you're on to something and you don't want it to suck now. And that is the killer of every, of every inspiration. I think like it, the longer you can keep that flow going and decide way later on if it's any good or if it's, or if it, know what you can do to it like the the better but but it doesn't it doesn't happen if you get too excited about it at least while you're writing you know like the recording the, the recording and production aspect of it that's just all fun you know but when you're trying to when you're trying to really get to the heart of it and what it means and what the the key elements are if you can get you out of it the easier it becomes
0: Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of The TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, The Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out.
2: Well, so what was the case with 555? Were you Was there forcing in that song? Were you using implementing the... Temporary lyrics that became real lyrics.
1: No, I just wrote it be- before I could, I could become self-aware that, of what I was doing, you know. And at the time, it, that wasn't hard because everything else on Surviving was this, like, gnarly guitar rock song. So I didn't really care if it fit in with the material for that or not. Like, it that didn't even come on my register. I was just writing a song because it was fun.
2: Yeah, it is a pretty joyful process when it all, when it does that thing where it seems to be writing itself. I'll have to try this thing where you use of yours, where you're using lyrics here as an example to everybody or maybe even yourself. Like there are lyrics here. I, I hate that idea when I'm writing that there aren't lyrics here yet. I have the melody idea. I almost have the phrasing. I always have the phrasing. You know, I almost have, I think I have the point of view right from the get go. If I could stay with the point of view using the temporary lyrics, I might find that that could be useful to me. I want to try that. Where I get worried is if I, like, have lost the plot a little bit. And that's where I have this thing where it's like I, I say to myself, don't put the pen down. Um, I don't necessarily mean that literally, but, like, don't, like, I won't get up and walk away from the spot I'm in. I want to go get a water or a cup of coffee or something like that. I'll just stay. If, I, if I'm sort of on the wave, I kind of want to ride it out for the, until I just possibly I can't, until I hit the shore. It doesn't always work, but I try. Uh,
1: yeah. If, if I've come to really be precious about it, then I sort of need to forget I'm precious about it and, and kind of reduce that, that self-imposed quality control.
2: So how, like, where does it have to get to for you to be less precious about it? For me, I have to get it about 75 to 85% there, and then I can be less precious about it. I'm really protective in the beginning because I'm worried it'll just be ordinary, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I, you develop expectations for it. Like what you were saying with where do I have the, uh, the perspective... Is the perspective consistent? Is what I'm saying fitting with the theme I'm I'm so excited about? Like you gotta let that be fungible to some degree. Yeah, it's a it's a guide on where your effort is taking you. We talked about the other day where I was working on something and I think this the my, my idea of it was like the speaker is saying something that is isn't necessarily what I agree with, you know, from a fundamental point. But I was stoked on the concept of it. Like maybe I could present this in a way that is obviously irony, you know, like one of those kind of songs, like where you're you're giving an example of something that obviously isn't where you're at, you know, like see a Chandelier, you know, like it is a great example of that. Like maybe that's who she was, but she's singing that obviously because she overcame that and she's not that anymore. I got sort of lost in like, do I keep it with this, this idea that I started with? Or do I keep it, or do I kind of develop the thing that seems like it wants to be, which is probably closer to where I'm at, of what my perspective is, not as a character in irony, but I see elements in develop, in in exploring the theme, I see elements that I can relate to personally, like on a much, on a deeper personal level that I think would be kind of cooler. And, you know you're sort of faced with two options. Like you either, either go ride or die with your initial expectations that you were s- searching out for. Like, do I keep the perspective consistent with how I started or do you shift it to where the song thinks you're taking you? And that paralyzed my work for a while. Like, what do I do? Do I, do I change it or do I, do I stay consistent? And then I thought, well do both, you know, like commit to the first thing you thought of cause you thought of it and finish it completely with this new way you're, you're working on. And that sort of takes the pressure off both things
2: because you got this other thing, in case this doesn't work out. It's an interesting point to bring up. I think to songwriters and non-songwriters alike, there's a large element that the song wants to be something which can be independent from what you want the song to be. And um, in my experience, that generally wins. Fre- uh, you know, I'm just talking about in frequency, that, that seems to win. I'm not sure about in quality. Sometimes you're, where, where, you, where you keep muscling back into is right, but. I seem to lose that battle against what the song was more often. And I'm okay with that. The thing that I have a little trouble with uh, along the way is um, you were talking about uh, setting it in a place where it really wasn't your point of view. It's an opposition, maybe, to your point of view. And then the awareness I have it, that can be a limiting factor to the success of that is understanding that I will be perceived to be the protagonist no matter what. Beca-
1: People just hear you singing and they think, well, oh, this is Chris. This is first person, Chris. Yeah, and
2: sometimes, sometimes it is. It's rarer than people would think, I think, that it, that it is as an absolute me or my experience by definition. Sometimes it's, I'm tangential. Sometimes I'm on the edge of that experience and I've only maybe heard about what a person has felt or read about it in fiction maybe even. You know, and just been inspired to, to go down that road and explore how that could be reduced down into three and a half minutes. Of song, but I'll cop to obviously. If you've listened to my music, you know that there's there's a lot of me in there, a lot of my story in there, especially in the, especially in the places where it's most obvious. It usually is true, but it's also going to be taken to be that way. Is my is my grander point? W- whether that's true or not. Does that trip you up on the initial writing thing? No, but it does probably in the revision state, and it, I really try not to let that come into play during the conceptual period. I want it to have all the, the uh, latitude it can have to just become what it may become, which could change at the 11th hour. I'm sure you've had that experience. So you think a song is absolutely one thing. You've got all these great lyrics that you're super proud of in, in terms of the craftsmanship or even the way the, that you've uh, emotionally reacted to the moment of writing them or, or, the, or just sitting down to read it back or listen back for the first time. And you're, you're all the way in. You're, you feel it. But then there's something you write in the late stages where you, it just turns the whole idea on its head. And it is like there's no arguing with it. You just got to go down that road.
1: Yeah, you can edit which way sort of feels more authentic
2: or effective for the vibe that you want yeah. later. But where you're making that decision to do it early, I have had fewer successes with that. I can think of a song on Dustin and Summer that was lyrically... 100% uh, was was not 100% different. It shares some lyrics with its original recording, but the story is vastly different and the point of view is very, vastly different. And then I also have it with that same song. There's like three different, entirely different things where the, uh, where uh, there's, there's different arrangements for the same melody and rhythm. There's totally different rhythm and melody with different arrangements. And then there's the song it became in the end. And um, the problem I have with that, isn't whether um, it succeeded in, in people liking the song. It, it did succeed in that regard. And it succeeded in the way that I'm, I still could connect with the song, you know, all these years later. Where I wonder if it failed was, I will never know for sure if I chose the best version. And I think about that a lot when I, when it. And I shouldn't say every time I play the song, I think about it, but it pops into my head. You should just make
1: it the other way you're thinking right now. Just go. Doesn't matter if it's a song that's been out for like years.
2: Do it, do it, do it the other way now. It's a good idea. Like, do it like live or just record it? Just take a stab and see where it goes. Either. Make a recording of it. Like, just,
1: okay, so I always pictured this song kind of going a little bit this way or maybe like after performing it live for 10 years, I've kind of gotten to know this perspective a little bit better and where I'm at now with my life experience, I have a different take on it
2: slightly. You know, like, just record it again. Just make it again, like, I, I, I trust the song to have a longer life than the recording. There's songs that I like more than I used to, less than I used to for live, but that's not really because I just got bored or felt boxed in. The, the uh, reason for that is the um, allowing it not to be definitive just because it was finished on a record. It, that, that doesn't, for me, isn't the definitive version, even though I know for the fan, it's probably the definitive It can't, has to be definitive, definitive for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really care what the fans think. Because <laughs> a definitive for one person is going to be someone else's brand... You know, like the non-definitive version could be someone else's brand new definitive version. That's true. Like, like that, the UK right. surf mix of, of Where's My Mind, you know? like Right. Is that your definitive version of it? I don't know. It might not be like a thing you do all the time, but I don't think there's any rules against
2: it. I think there's plenty of mediums where you get one or two cracks at the thing. But ours, our thing is a little more like um, live theater, obviously, as, versus sculpting. You know, where yeah. you, we, we get to keep doing it forever. I guess
1: you got to chase the ideas you're excited about, even if it doesn't really make sense on a business level sometimes. You know, like, like if you get an idea for like a string arrangement for a really older song that you want to do, like why not just go do it?
2: I have a lot of fun with when you learn a new technique as a guitar player and then you can go back through, refreshes all your songs or can refresh any one of your songs and you can use it all over the place. I like that um, aspect too of like any growth turns into like energy for, for, for the songs you have. This thing
1: that might seem like just a futile masturbatory expenditure of time turns into an idea that does yield something that like could be like your next single or the next song that you really feel is special to you. You don't know, like any movement is going to lead somewhere that you haven't been.
2: Oh, I have a question for you That in regard to that. I've always favored acoustic guitars. Uh, there's something about it that's just got a, a warmth that ch- draws me in. But what I've always been a fan of in years is this, uh, the, pa- this the breadth of the palette of your electric guitar sound and effects all with being very Jim Atkins, all be, or Jimmy World, if he applied to the whole band. And I'm wondering how often discovering some new pedal combination sends you all the way down into a song.
1: Uh, probably any time I plug in a new pedal. <laughs> <laughs> guess, whether, whether, whether that true. turns into a song actually use or not, it definitely leads into an idea. You're putting yourself in a position that isn't your normal thing or is something new, and you're trying to use your... your uh, your experience and your skills and your musicianship to explore that. Like if you sit down in front of an instrument, you don't even know, like you're going to fumble around till you get something that until your idea that that's, it's, it's really great to do sometimes because then you're forced to conform to like the idea can only match your musicianship.
2: Does that um, energizing factor of mystery, does that apply itself to, to like arrangement when you're in the band setting? Are you trying to discover the mystery in the song at that point? Or are you trying to be supportive Of uh, the framework. It can be, you know, I mean, there's
1: a reason you take an idea to somebody else, because you want to make something that was never your idea in the first place. You want to explore what the next step could be and get somewhere that is outside of your imagination. Yeah. You know, I hope that that's what happens when I work on something with a group. In my band, you know, that it's going gonna to be adding the perspective of everybody else and get somewhere that takes the theme and takes the idea and takes the vibe of it to a place that I would never have been able to get to just on my own.
2: That's when I love the involvement of a producer, when you and your bandmates have done the stages of discovery for what the song could be. And then somebody comes in, turns the whole thing on its ear or the other equally exciting thing where they get it completely and just started like trying to facilitate keeping it as such, you know. It's a fun piece of the process for me.
1: There's that sort of selfish drive, like, I want to make this. We're not going to use a producer. We're not going to use an engineer. Yeah. We're going to do this. You know, but I think you that there's there's such reward in when, um, you know, a producer person will give you that prompt that opens up the mystery even more. And you can just dive yeah. in and swim around. It.
2: It's probably harder for you than it is for me because of you have a certain love for production and engineering, too, that not every artist and songwriter has. I like to produce records. I sort of like to engineer records, but I don't know that I love it like this with the same kind of um, inexhaustible passion that I have for for writing. You seem to have that, you seem to have this, that's part of your, that kind of energy is evident in the records you produce.
1: Like you were saying before, it just sort of becomes an extension of like
2: your, of of you playing acoustic guitar. You're playing the musical position of producer as if it was an instrument.
1: Right. Like, like, you would just reach for the effect the pedal you want to put in. It's not that different from, you know, an engineering choice or a production choice. Like, it's just another, it's just another tool that, that add, you hope adds to the, the, the subconscious
2: exploration. You talked about how long it's been since um, surviving, or at least 555. And uh, it's been a similar length of time, not quite as long, but similar since I finished writing all the truth that I can tell, even though it's only coming out now. And... Um, when I go through a period of less uh, complete, like the productivity is the same, but the completion rate is lower as a writer for me. Um, that's when I start having more fun playing the studio, but I have yet to link them up where I'm like writing with this much passion and producing with the same kind of like passion and, and having both uh, dovetail for a record of mine. So I usually like producing other records when I'm in the place of like, oh yeah, I'm not really finishing And then when I am in the place of like finishing and finishing and finishing, I like don't want to slow down to think about the production. I I just like basic recording is enough for me. I I think that you work on, on seemingly on both at the same time. It's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, like how something sounds affects what you do next or affects like what you're reaching for or want to try next. That could be one of the things that informs like your lyric choices even like Oh wait! Like I thought, I thought the song was going to be this way, but 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 because these, because the drums like being this unexpected sound that sort of makes the song feel this other way,
2: and that yeah informs the theme or of it a little bit. or even like the syntax or like the uh, syllabic uh, rhythm of stuff that's been influenced by drums on my records many times. Where I'm like, oh wait, I'm jamming this poor guy up. He's doing the interesting thing. I'm making it less interesting. I've got to say this. In an effect, as an effective way that I can live with it, but out of his way completely. It's not my moment, which is you know you got to surrender to that to get something from very good to great. When, when one of the songs for Jimmy World is the production period, be it you at the in the chair or somebody else, like some if you've gone to a producer at that stage, is that collaborative still? Is that part of the collaboration, or do you or does one person sort of take a shift on maybe per song or per record?
1: It just depends. When you're working with an outside person, it's, it's, there's a re, you gotta always remember that there's a reason for that. And if they come to the table with an idea that you, your gut is hesitant about, you still have to explore that, you know? Because you would, you would wish the same thing too if you brought an idea that other people are like, I don't know, Chris, man. All yeah. right. You know, because like sometimes, uh, like sometimes, to... sometimes you're wrong, but you need to hear that you're wrong. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's, that doesn't work that way. Okay, that doesn't do what I was thinking in my head, but you gotta hear it. So if a producer person says like, I want, now these drums should be really tight and small. And your idea was like, no, this bombastic kind of thing. You got to explore that. I mean, maybe you're, maybe, maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle, or maybe the answer is even more extreme in one direction or another.
2: But I think I find it, uh, and enables that pursuit a little bit. If I realize okay, I can always go back, but I've never gone down this road, but I, I know the way back. I'm the one who plotted it out, but we can always chase this one. I can get back to this one. And then the funny thing is I find is like, if they're right, I seldom remember the, the idea I had, really. I was like the, yeah. the right idea is the one that was right, and there was never any other idea. That's sort of how it lives in my rearview mirror. Yeah. If it's wrong, though, it's, uh, it's, it's evident right away.
1: But yeah, everyone knows it's wrong. We've never had an experience like where we try something, we still have to convince the person that that's not great. That's why you work with the people you choose to work with is because when that happens, you're still on the same page. Could What's add. fun is
2: when you say, this is an adding to the song and let's go, you know, let's, let's make the other choice. And then at some later date, you're like, no, remember that idea we tried? Wouldn't it be great right here? The idea is still powerful.
1: Yeah, like you explore this thing that didn't work, but you remember that, that trip. It that happens all the time. Like you get the recall of that experience, like for when, you, when that thing would be the thing that solves the puzzle it happens all the time like you never lose by exploring you never lose by by chasing an idea
2: i'm trying to think of like the best success story of like pushing the idea to some place i was uncomfortable with so that i can give an example to you or to anybody listening to this but but what i what i said sort of maintains its veracity there i only remember the the right right idea i feel like that was true in um in one case there's a song called stolen i have that uh that we recorded and finished and put out at a certain bpm that i i i remember that there was discussion but we never really tried to make it faster until we stood in front of people for the very first time cuz we hadn't played that song live and went oh no it's way too slow and then we we actually it was the only time we ever went and recut a song and then re striped it on the record oh really it was so evident and like the trouble that and cost that could have saved us maybe was uh avoidable by having thought to try but we never even thought to try it in the room it was so obvious once we got into the world in a outside of the sterile more sterile uh environment but there are people that swear by that first version being the definitive one for them like how many bpm slower considerable it was like like 10 to 15 maybe i mean maybe
1: that's like about stolen somewhere in there
2: yeah It was 10 BPM slower than that? I think so. It was 10. I think it was 10 slower than that. It It was like like... truly a ballad. Like now it's like a a lower mid-tempo. It's a ballad feeling mid-tempo song. It was truly like a ballad pace then, maybe 80, something like that. I think it's like like 94 now if I had to guess. Like in there kind of? Feels like it might have even been slower, Jim. Uh, But it was right in the room. The only room we were in, it was uh, successful in that room. uh, Like, (laughs) wait for it. It was, wait wait for for it. It. It, it was a wait for it. It was a wait for it. And it really had a lot of drama and it had a lot of... Um, there was a See, right there, you should, you, should,
1: you should go back and cut it even slower. And even slower? Yeah. All Just right. go back and do it, man. People, people, people are like, no, man, this isn't the real version. Like, give them the real
2: version, oh like my God. 70. I wonder maybe. if I did write it even slower and it had to be sped up for them <laughs> in the first place. I wish I could remember that. But that was one that I wrote sitting on a drum kit. You know, we were talking about how like sometimes the idea comes from some other place and there's a lot of like fun guitar things happening in there. And it's, like a bunch of small ideas pieced together that work in a nice, fun way. There's a, a melody that is uh, there's a simple lyric that seems to work pretty well there. And there's this, this fun flip of like range, you know, from into head voice and stuff. All that stuff's fun, but it wasn't the thing that let it in. It was just like me in my rudimentary fashion, just having some fun at the drum kit.
1: When someone sends me an idea, I always like listening to just, I don't want to hear, th- th- my first reaction to it, I don't want to hear it good. I want to hear it with a lot of question marks still. So like I'll listen to just the, on my phone speaker where I can't hear any, I can barely hear what the bass is actually doing, you know, and then I'll see what ideas I have on that and I'll make my version of it from that. Like, okay, good. This I'm is bring, empowering I'm bring, like, me as
2: somebody who's about to send you demos. No, because like then, because like I could, like you were saying before,
1: you can always do the thing that you know. So, like, what, why not like give yourself more question marks to fill in and see what they see where that leads. And there, and therein is the
2: magic. Is when you like do that thing with somebody you're collaborating with and you're like, well, this is amazing, this lyric you wrote. And they're like, I'm not saying any words there. I'm like, what? Yes. Yeah, I, I hear this so, it is actually saying this to me. I hear it. And I'm crediting you with writing it, whether you think you wrote that or not. But they're like, I'm not saying that. That happens from time to time, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. There's just so many roads to explore. It's a shame we don't have time to run them all or we'd get nothing done. Another day. Here's a hundred versions of my new single. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, 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 the hip hop world likes to release like alt mixes in different versions. And yeah, take that to the next level. Here's a hundred of them.
2: Well, I like when, uh, wasn't it Beck that put out like multi-tracks. Um, of his record, oh, what was it, Seed Change. It was some small, uh, more delicate record, I think. Oh, yeah? And let fans kind of mess with it um, in the early days of home studio accessibility. And that was genius. And I remember listening to what people had come up with for the existing tracks, and it was just extraordinary. Not everyone was good, but not everyone was... Not everyone, not saying everyone was good, but saying that would be wrong. Not everyone was um, vastly different from what was put not out. Everyone was Sp- not everyone was good. Not everyone was good. All right. You some have an easier time with that. You have an easier time with that kind of uh, state than I do. I, I don't want to judge anyone's art. No, man, it sucked. Sorry. But some of it was so <laughs> beyond what uh, I would have expected to like when I heard just the original track, you know? Yeah. Where could this go that would be satisfying to me? And then you listen to something like oh, that. I would have thought if somebody described that in words, I would have thought that's a bad idea. And instead it was a genius idea. Yeah. That'd be a fun thing to do. Put out your multi-tracks.
1: I might do yeah, that. yeah, definitely. All right, man, I got to get going kind of. We got band practice any minute now. Okay, buddy. But good wrapping out. We'll be, yeah, uh, good. We'll be continuing
2: I'll in a cave. will see you really shortly in a cave. Somewhere in a cave.
1: Somewhere in a cave. Yes, yes, indeed.
0: Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast, and thanks to Chris Caraba and Jim Adkins for chatting. If you liked what you heard, check out TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and social channels. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.